Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Fauché, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Equipping ELLs podcast, and welcome to a brand new year. Can't believe that it's 2024. It feels like just yesterday that we were bringing in Y2K, (laughs) and now we're here in 2024. Time is flying. But I'm also really excited about what 2024 is going to bring. We are more passionate than ever to be here to help support you, support your English language learners. And we have some big ideas, some big plans, and some big ways that we are going to share with you throughout this year. And we are always here to listen. If there's an episode topic that you would love to hear about, if there's just something you want to chat about, we are here for you and to support you. So please reach out. You can email us. You can DM me on Instagram. Whatever way works best for you, we want to help support you in whatever ways that we can. Now, last week's episode, I challenged you to focus on one word this year. If you didn't catch that episode, you can go back. It's a quick episode and listen in on that one. That's episode 107. Do you remember that word is? Are you accepting this challenge? The word is advocate. And the beautiful thing about this word is that it's really a noun and a verb. It's taking on the identity as a teacher of ELLs that you will be an advocate this year for the needs of both you and your students. And by doing that, you will advocate for your students' needs and what's best for them. So I hope that you are joining us on this challenge because this school year, this upcoming year, we are going to really be focusing on empowering you with the education, the knowledge, the wisdom, the experts in the field of different areas of teaching multilingual learners and helping you build that knowledge base so that you can go and be the advocate that your students need you to be. Today's episode, I want to walk you through what advocacy is and isn't. And I'm going to share with you a simple five-step process for choosing what to advocate for and really figuring out how can we make the biggest impact with the time that we have, with the energy and the resources that we have to really create change in our schools, in our districts, and even beyond that. Now, before we dive in, I want to just take a moment and look at our current reality in our education system in the United States. First, a significant number of teachers are not sufficiently equipped to address the educational and language needs of ELLs. They often lack the cultural knowledge necessary for effectively teaching these diverse students. And a lot of times they just lack the training or, you know, having any educational experience working with ELLs. 
I've done a lot of research on this topic, and it is shocking to see how little support is provided at the district and school level for all teachers to have a good foundation of the skills that are needed to teach English language learners. Even though the numbers and the demographics is increasing rapidly, the training programs and the support is not keeping up. In California alone, there was a study that I read, and California has one of the largest populations of English language learners, and their teachers only need to have one professional development that's about English language learners for every five years. So think about one of the biggest populations of ELLs, and the teachers every five years are given at least one training. This is a big problem that we're having. Some other problems that we're having are the resources currently available in schools. They fall short of what really is needed for the education of our ELLs. You know, many of our these students are, are placed in subpar ELL programs with teachers that just have too many numbers, not enough resources, or they're just using curriculum that has a, a sticker slapped on it that says for ELLs, but it's really not what is best for our students. There's also a rising trend of ELL students becoming long-term English language learners that despite their continued efforts, they're just not achieving English proficiency really because it's in regards to one factor if they pass access testing or not or your, your academic language testing that you do. And this really pushes them to fall behind academically just because they're feeling like they're never going to make it. They're never going to get beyond this test that keeps them in the system. And stay tuned. I have a guest coming on in two episodes that you will not want to miss. She's done some research and has written an incredible article really about this topic of our students who are turning into long-term ELLs and we're really preventing them from soaring and growing because they're getting trapped in the system. So stay tuned for that episode. You will not want to miss it. And then another issue that we're seeing in our schools is the misconception that yellow students with limited proficiency in academic English really equates to lower capabilities. That's not true at all. It's such a misconception and it has led to reduced expectations, diluted academic programs where really teachers who don't have, going back to that first point, who don't have the training, don't have the experience, their default then is to think that they need to water it down and really lower the expectations because of these misconceptions. So this is just the tip of the iceberg of where we're at right now when it comes to supporting English language learners. Even though bilingual education has been around since the 60s, and we're going to get into that in an episode down the road, this is nothing new. But the decisions that are being made don't seem to be doing what's best for teachers and for our ELL students to really get the support they need so that we can be creating a future generation of incredible bilingual students. I say this because I want you to sit in this uncomfortable spot of this kind of stirring of these things that you, I'm sure, are seeing as well. Because the reality is, if we, if you, don't speak up, will these things change? Will all of a sudden money and budget be spent in the right way? Will all of a sudden administrators bring on more teachers when they see your caseload is at 150? Not without somebody speaking up for what is right. Now let's break down what is advocacy and what it is not, because sometimes that helps us to clearly see that this is a role that you can step into. Even if you're shy, even if your personality, if you don't have a ton of experience, this is something 
because of you and your passion and the work that you're doing, it's something that your students need for you to step into this role. So first, advocacy isn't being angry about everything and always arguing or fighting with your coworkers about supporting your ELL students better. I know sometimes it can feel really frustrating. I know sometimes you feel like it's the work that I'm doing to help these homeroom teachers understand doing anything because we continue to not be aligned on the same page. I've been there. I've had that experience. It can be very tiring. But what I want you to move into this year is not allowing those small things to erupt and make you, you know, really become angry or just so frustrated with the homeroom teachers. Like I said, I mean, only 1% of the teaching population is certified to teach English language learners. That means 99% of the teachers in our schools do not have the background and the knowledge and the training. That's That's a lot. (laughs) So you have a lot on your plate if you're in that 1%. And it's easy to get angry and frustrated and feel like they're not helping. But that does not move change. That doesn't move things forward. So instead of it being about being angry and fighting with coworkers, advocacy is really about being intentional, being purposeful, and direct on how change can happen. We want to continue to look at the solution. Complaining, which I know I was guilty of all the time, and I don't know if it's just the school environment or what it is about schools that it can breed this ground for constant complaining, looking at the negative. Um, it's a really, it can be a really tough environment. And so we don't want to sit in that. We don't want to sit in the complaining and just allowing these things to continue to happen without making change. So we want to focus on the solution. Next, advocacy is not just, like I said, complaining about the issue or placing blame or the problem on someone else to solve. No one will speak up more for your students than you. And I did this a lot of just expecting my administration to be the ones that came up with the solution. And I would sit and complain, but they have a lot on their plate too. And so, like I said, no one will speak up more for your students than you. When you can identify a problem and you can create a solution, those around you are much more likely to join in and help create change. So instead of complaining or placing blame, advocacy is action-oriented. You really want to work on finding a feasible solution and working with the end in mind. And I'm going to give you a few examples because some things, it might just be a really small idea that you begin with. We're not talking about having to go to Capitol Hill and change everything, and it's not going to happen overnight. So let's start small. Let's start with easy solutions that we can find that people are, they're easily going to want to get on board to support it. And that little change that we can create, we don't know how that will spark other change down the road. So along those lines, advocacy isn't always a big push or effort. Advocacy can be as simple as beginning with educating yourself and spreading that with those who are willing to listen. So that's where it could really begin this year is you are just going to take time to advocate for yourself. You're going to learn and educate yourself on laws, on what is the rights of your students and their families on just maybe go deeper in a topic, read a professional development book about it, read some articles, listen to some podcasts, become very interested in one topic. And by educating yourself, you now have something to share with those who are also wanting to learn, those who are willing to listen. Lastly, advocacy is tenacious. 
It's not giving up when there are setbacks because there will be setbacks. And when it's easier to just give in and when you feel alone and when you feel like, why am I even spending my time doing this? I'm already so tired. But advocacy continues on and pushes through. And that's where we have these incredible, inspiring stories of people who started with a small idea and create big change in their students' lives that last for a lifetime. So don't give up. I know in the middle of the year, I know many of you are tired and you feel like, is it worth my time? These homeroom teachers are not, they're not getting it. They're not wanting to support me. Now I'm moving into testing season and I'm so spread thin. That's why today I really want to help you break it down and decide where should you spend your time and what you should advocate for. Because there are so many things that need a voice. (laughs) There's so many issues in education today that need some change, but it's not all going to be done overnight. So let's focus on the things that really will make the biggest impact. Now that we're clear on that, let's build out a plan of how to choose what to advocate for and how to use your time to make the biggest change. And I just want to remind you that it is not by accident that you are in the position that you are in with the students that you are working with. It can only take one teacher willing to speak up that can transform your student's life, that can transform your school and how it works and supports and receives and encourages and empowers English language learners. It can take one teacher who has one idea to transform how the parents and the families of your ELL students are welcomed into your school building and accepted and become a part, a vital part of your community. Those things matter and it will impact your students for life. So to help you get started, what you want to begin with is to find and identify that problem that you're seeing or that area that you're really passionate about. It could be as simple as getting better technology for your ELL students. Maybe it's as simple as getting better headsets for testing time or when you're doing listening activities. It could be very specific and very simple. You see a problem and you can easily create a solution and come up with a solution that people are going to get on board with. Now, it could get a little bit bigger than that. So that's maybe one simple problem that you're going to want to advocate for. But it could be something as, you know, trying to get an additional teacher hired or a paraprofessional hired or things like better curriculum, more professional development, better ways to connect with the parents, more opportunities to bring them into the school and provide childcare and things like that so that they can really become part of the educational process and learning how they can support their students. There's so many areas that you could just identify, but find those that you are very passionate about. You know, if my students have better curriculum, it's going to help me and it's going to directly impact them. Then maybe that's where you want to start. Maybe you want to start smaller. If you have an administration that's, you know, really hard to work with or they're just not that knowledgeable about ELLs and so it's maybe hard to really get that conversation happening, maybe start small with just trying to get a few iPads for your class so you can work on the listening skills. So number one is to begin with your problem and try to see if it aligns with your something you're really passionate about. When those two things align, you'll be unstoppable in making change. 
The next thing is to research. You want to know the rights of your students. You want to know your rights. Now, I did a little bit of research because I know there's many of you, and we I talk with a lot of you that are inside the Equipping ELLs membership, who are from North Carolina. And you're saying, you know, my numbers are crazy. I have 70, 80, 90 plus students on my caseload. That might be a place to start and start having these conversations now so that by next school year, there is something better in place. Now, I did do some research, and this is what it says. The specific ratio of ELL students to teachers in North Carolina is not explicitly defined in the state's laws or policies. Now, it goes on to say that every student should receive adequate resources and services to overcome language-based barriers to a sound education. The state's approach includes providing guidance for ELL program quality and compliance, as well as for the identification, data collection, reporting of English learners. So the focus for North Carolina is on ensuring that English learners are provided with the necessary resources and support to achieve academic success within the existing educational framework. And it goes on and on. Now, you might come away from that and go, well, that's pretty discouraging. There's no law around the ratio of students to teacher. But if you do more digging and you really pull out, here is the law that every student is required to receive adequate resources and services. And I think you can easily argue that when you have 90 plus students on your caseload, those students are not receiving adequate services. And so start there, start to use the rights of your students, the law, and bring that up, have that written out so you can clearly say, hey, we are not aligned here, or this is what our law says, but I do not see this happening when I have this many students on my caseload. The next thing you want to do is compile your observations. So you want to get this, all of this put together before you go and present it to your administration. Compile your observations. So if you're looking at having a huge caseload and your law is that they all students are required to, you know, receive adequate education, start to take note of that. You know, I wasn't able to work with all the students in this class this week because I'm only able to see them once a week due to having so many students in my caseload or here's my schedule. I'm able to see these three groups this many times because they are level ones and they need the most for me. And these groups I see once every three weeks. How is that adequate services to overcome language barriers? So using the verbiage from the laws and showing them how it's impacting your teaching, writing down observations, that is where you want to go next. So we have begin with the problem, know the rights, research and know the rights, Number three, compile your observations. Number four is to create a solution. So what kind of solutions can you provide? Maybe come up with two or three and and give them options of here is already a solution. Here is how this could work better. You know, with a high caseload, maybe it is seeing if you can have a paraprofessional come in and support. Maybe it is having the homeroom teachers have more training so that they are also providing the support. And it's some of those students who are, you know, ready to exit or close to exiting will not receive support from you so that you have less numbers on your caseload. Maybe it's grouping them differently. So maybe, you know, you can't change the number on your caseload, but you can change how you can work with all your level one students, regardless of the grade level. Maybe it's getting the opportunity to choose your schedule first and giving having that conversation with the homeroom teachers and they have to be on board so that you can create the ideal schedule for you as you're servicing so many students. Maybe it's 
being able to have, you know, a day that you get a sub so that you can do all the paper necessary paperwork or just data points with that huge caseload. Those are just a few solutions, but having two or three solutions that are very viable. They're not costing a lot more money. See if you have Title Three money that you can use or Title One money. So maybe there are some grants. Maybe there's some ways that you can find some, you know, extra money in the budget and come up with that solution yourself. The last way is to find ways that you can collaborate. Find ways that it's not just on you. You know, there's a quote that I read, and I'm going to share the article in the show notes from Coloring Colorado that said, advocacy is not what we do for others, but what we do with others to transform our community. So finding ways, can you work with a counselor, the social worker, homeroom teachers, the community, other people in the community? Maybe you can reach out and there's there's things already happening in the community where you can find, you know, depending on what change you're trying to advocate for, just finding connections that way. There's a lot of resources if we start to get savvy and we really start to look and see what's available. So try don't try to do it all on your own, but find ways that you can work and collaborate with people either in the building, maybe working with other ESL teachers in your district. You collaborate together on a way to make a change in the district. That is, there's power in numbers there. So once you have all of that compiled, then go and present it. Present it to the head of the bilingual department. Present it to your administrator post about it, write an article about it, get the word out there and start to spread it because you will find that people are going to also get on board with that. People will share the passion that you are sharing and maybe they just didn't take the time to start it, but they will definitely want to get on and help what you're trying to change. So real quick, let's go through those steps again. First, begin with your problem, your passion area. Second, research, know the rights Third, compile your observations. Four, create your solution. And five, add in ways to collaborate. Now, we must become part of the solution and we must start small. Your administrator has so many things on their plate, but if you present a solution to them, they will do their best to make that happen. I know that. I know that they want to do what's best for the students. They want to see you and your students succeed. And if they don't care, then that might be a sign that that's not really someone that you want to work for. There's a lot of jobs out there for ELL teachers. So really, if when you come with your solution and the why you want to make this change, they will respond. And just remember, sometimes advocacy is loud and demanding. Sometimes it is silent and powerful. It burns deeply in the heart of an educator who sees a child judged by a standard that discounts their very being. That is from an article from Coloring Colorado. They have a guide to advocacy that we'll put in the show notes um, that just goes a lot deeper on all of these topics. But I want you to come away with thinking about one thing that you can do. We have, you know, the, the rest of this school year, another five months. What could you start to advocate for now that by the beginning of next school year, that change can happen? You might have a large caseload and you might not get any more support the rest of the school year. But what if you start to have these conversations, you start to do the research, you start to compile your observations, you start to create solution. And by the end of this school year, you're able to have those conversations and they find some extra money in the budget where they, they're able to bring on another teacher. 
or they're able to bring on a paraprofessional or they're able to, you know, give you a subscription to Equipping LLs and you have the resources now that you've been needing. There's a variety of different solutions. So that's why I want to challenge you now. Start to think about what's one way you can make a change and advocate for your students and yourself so that in the beginning of next school year, it begins on a much better note. Thank you for joining me. I would absolutely love to hear what types of things that you are advocating for and how we can help support you with that. You can send us a DM on Instagram at Equipping ELLs. Just send us what you're, what you're thinking about, what your thoughts are, because we would love to share out some podcast episodes in the upcoming months that can help go deeper, do a lot of that research for you and help you be successful this year. All right. I hope you join me next week where we are going to be talking about how you can get set up for access testing, how you can get your students prepared, yourself prepared, teachers prepared, and the families prepared so that it can run as smoothly as possible. I'll see you then. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.